You're listening to Summit Podcasts, where you'll find sermon audio, weekly discussions of the message, the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and much, much more. Subscribe today at summitpodcast.church and share this episode with your friends. Summit Church, every life made different. So today we are finishing up the book of Habakkuk, and I'm excited, and to be honest with you, this series has challenged me, it's, it's spoken to me, uh, it's messed with some of my theology a little bit, and it's been good for me personally, and I've had a lot of feedback from you guys as well that it's been helpful, and so I'm so glad for that. Um, just to set this up, the book of Habakkuk was, was written by Habakkuk. It was written basically as a dialogue between he and God, and it's interesting because he starts out with a complaint and he prays to God and God gives him his response and he doesn't like the way God responds. Has anybody ever prayed before and God responds and you don't like the way he responds? You're like, can you give me a different answer? Can I get a second opinion somewhere? And this is what happens. So he prays and says, God, our people are wicked. You need to do something about it. And God says, I will. I'm going to send the Babylonians to bring judgment on you. And he goes, wait a second. They're even worse than we are. Why would you let them succeed? Are you going to let evil succeed forever? Why would you do that? And so he questions God. And this is where we've all been at times. And so last week, we went through God's response. And so God says what I'm gonna do. He, God tells him, I'm gonna bring judgment on the Babylonians. Here's how it's going to happen, what it's going to look like. And he outlines this for him. And then today we get to Habakkuk's response. And so let me jump in. This is Habakkuk chapter three, verse one. And it says, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to the Shigion. And uh, you should be impressed that I can, impress, that I can pronounce that word. Um, would you like to know what it means? Yeah, you would. I, I would too. We don't know what it means. <laughs> so there you go. Um, scholars don't even know what it means. It's a word that is dead, that they just can't come up with a definition for it. They don't see it in context anywhere. So it's hard to figure out what it really means. So it's actually a word that is not translated, but it's transliterated. So if, if this makes sense, uh, they don't tell us what it means, but they transliterate it from Hebrew into English and they just say, this is the word. And we have some context of what it may mean, but they're not sure. So it's used in Psalm chapter seven as well. And when the psalmist writes Psalm 7, it's a similar tone to what you're seeing today in Habakkuk chapter 3. So Habakkuk chapter 3 can be classified as poetry, but it's actually written to be a song sung corporately. So it's, uh, it's a liturgical style song that people would sing together to God. Uh, but it's a poem and it's a prayer. So it's Habakkuk's prayer to God written out as a poem to be sung corporately together. And what we see is it's similar to Psalm 7 because Psalm 7 was a prayer. Uh, it's similar tone. There's this kind of tumultuous world that the writer of Psalm 7 is living in and he's declaring God is good and faithful. And, and so there's these similar tones and ideas between these two writings in these two pieces. And so there are some people that think, hey, this is written or this word is used to describe the kind of music that should accompany this style of writing. But the truth is we don't know for sure. It's just interesting. And so if I didn't want you to think I was avoiding a word that you're like, what does that word mean? And because I don't know it. And sometimes I do that, but not this time. So let me keep going. Verse two. This is what Habakkuk says in his prayer to God. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. 
I've heard the report of you. I've heard the stories about you and your work do I fear. And I wanna remind you, this doesn't mean I'm afraid of God. We talked about this idea last week that, that he says, I've got a reverence for you because I've heard the stories. I know who you are. I know what you're capable of. And I revere you. I honor you. He says, in the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. So he said, God, I've heard stories about who you are. I've heard stories about what you've done and I honor you because I know who you are and who I am. And then he says, God, in the midst of years, revive it. So years have gone by and I haven't seen you do these things. I've heard stories about what you can do, but I haven't seen it. God, I've heard stories about how you can heal and restore and rescue, but, but I haven't seen it. And so he says, revive it. He says, in the midst of the years, make it known. And he said, so these years have passed. And he's saying, do it again. God, I, you've done this before. I've heard stories and I know you're capable and I'm not seeing it now, but I'm believing. And so God, I'm saying, do it again. And then this is a prayer for us today where we go, okay, God, I'm struggling here. And I've heard stories about how you've shown up, but I haven't seen it. Would you do it again? God, I've heard stories about how you've rescued. God, I've heard stories about how you saved. God, I've heard stories about how you healed marriages. I've heard stories about bringing prodigal children home. I've heard stories about financial miracles. I've heard stories about miraculous physical healings, but I haven't seen it. Do it again. Do it again, God. And I love this prayer. It's this prayer of faith in spite of what you see, because the odds are long, that things don't look good. I'm not seeing God answer my prayers, but God, I know you can, so do it again. I've heard stories, do it again. And he says, in wrath, remember mercy. And he's acknowledging, God, number one, the Babylonians deserve wrath. They are coming to bring judgment on us. They deserve wrath. God, we deserve wrath, because we're, we're evil. But in your wrath, remember mercy. Verse three says this, God came from Timon and the Holy One from Mount Paran. And so essentially what he's saying is God came from the south. So uh, Mount Paran is a mountain in the southern part of Israel near the Sinai Peninsula. And so you have to cross the desert to get from there to Jerusalem. And so what he's saying is that the presence of God or the spirit of God is sweeping through the desert and, and coming our way. So what he's saying is God is on his way to rescue us. And then he uses this word, Selah. I'll, I'll get back to that in a moment. It says, his splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. The earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light, rays flashed from his hand. And there he veiled his power. Let me go back to this word, Selah. This might be a word, if you're familiar with scripture and you've read your Bible, you might be familiar with this. We see this word uh, fairly regularly in the book of Psalms. And the word Selah is a word that, that it's hard to pin down the exact definition of the word Selah. But if you look at it contextually, it seems to have a couple of different definitions. One would mean to, to lift up a praise. So I'm going to lift up a praise to God. And then there's a technical use of this word that could be in the context of, of music. 
And so it's used in the book of Psalms. Uh, and when it says Selah, there's this idea that it's a musical notation to rest. And so if you're reading sheet music, the, you see the notes, you see uh, the time signatures, you see everything. And there are, there are these, these symbols that mean to rest. And what it means is the musicians stop playing. They, whatever note they were playing, they stop playing. And the singers stop singing in that moment. And so there's this very specific meaning that it could have for musicians who are playing the music or singers who are singing the song, but there's this broader meaning as well that I think is important. And if you look at the Amplified Bible, anytime the word Selah is used, they actually say this. It says, pause and calmly think about that. To each verse where it would say Selah. Pause and calmly think about that. Now, here at Summit, um, you guys don't talk to me very much in the service. Some of you are bold and you will amen me once in a while. But the church I came from, it was boisterous. It was loud. Like they were talking at me during church. And there would be people who would go, oh, preach, preacher. And there'd be people, there was one specific guy in church that he would say, think about it. Think about it. Like I would have a point and he'd go, think about it. He was just helping me. He's like, hey, people, you, that was a good one. You need to listen to that. Think about it, right? And he'd just say, think about it. And, and this, is what, this is what we can take from this. When we see Selah, there's this idea that we lift up a praise, but we're supposed to pause and think about what God has done. We meditate on what God is saying. Well, God, what are you really saying? And so for the purposes of our conversation today, when you see the word Selah, let's just say to, to pause and praise. I'm gonna pause and praise right now. I'm gonna think about what God has done and that's going to elicit praise from me. It says the whole earth was full of his praise. Full of his praise. We'll come back to that idea in a moment. The whole earth is full of his praise. There's an interesting line in verse four. It says his brightness was like the light. And some of your translations might say the light of dawn or like the light of first day, um, but brightness is what he's talking about. This brightness breaking through the darkness. Rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. There's power veiled in God's hand. So in the book of Psalms, we see a couple of prophecies about God and the power in his hand. And what it's talking about is the Messiah and the power the Messiah has in his hand to... Uh, to bring healing and wholeness, to have the authority to subdue enemies. And what it's describing is this idea that, that Jesus has the power in his hands to subdue enemies. And what we see here in Habakkuk, and Habakkuk, he would have known the book of Psalms. This was not foreign to him. And so there's this idea that God's power, it's, it's veiled in his hand. We can't see how powerful our God really is because it's veiled in his hand. That's where his power is. But, but I want you to understand what it's saying is all the power necessary to subdue your enemy is present in God's hand. I would have expected you to be a little more excited about that. That's all right. Let me explain this. So what you need to defeat the enemy you're facing is present in God's hand. He has it. It's accessible to you. And he's ready to use it on your behalf. That's a good thing. See, some of us think God's holding out on us. We go, God, uh, I'm up against an enemy. Do you even see what's going on? Do you even care about me? Do you even love me? 
And, and what we have to do is we have to pause and praise and understand, hey, the power that is necessary in my life, God has it. He's ready to move. It's veiled in his hand. We can have peace in this. Verse five says this, before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. Doesn't that sound delightful? And what he's doing is he's framing the conversation. He's framing his prayer and he understand what, understands what he's doing. He's, he's writing a prayer to God that will be sung forever. That's his idea. It's gonna be sung congregationally. And what he's doing is he's reminding the people who are gonna be singing and reading this of who God is. And so he starts going back to the book of Exodus and he's reminding them of the Exodus story. Hey, when the people of Israel were desperate and they were in bondage and they were in slavery, what did God do? God showed up on the scene and he brought with him pestilence and plague and he set his people free. This is a reminder. And the people that would have been reading this would have understood this very clearly. He's saying, this is who our God is. He says, pestilence goes before him. The plague follows with him. He says in verse six, he stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. His very look will shake the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. And this is so interesting to me because what Habakkuk is doing is describing things that we would classify as eternal. He's saying the hills and the mountains seem eternal, right? Because they are here when we're born and they're there when we die. And that's what we know. They were here when our mom and dad were born and they were here when my kids will be gone. That feels eternal. And Habakkuk says, no, 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 no. Those aren't eternal. God is eternal. See, compared to God, the things that seem eternal in our lives are temporary. And we fall into this trap, it's easy to do. And every time we do, we get ourselves into trouble. It's heartbreaking because we think things like, oh, my job is gonna be here forever. We take for granted that I've got this job, it's gonna be here and it's long-term. And then we get laid off and our world is blown up because I thought this job was permanent. This happens in relationships. People get blindsided by a divorce, by a breakup. And they thought it was permanent. This happened with me a few years ago with my dad when my dad passed away. I don't know about you, but I looked at my dad like a superhero. And the first time I saw my dad in the hospital, Kim and I were married, we didn't have kids yet. Um, my dad had an accident and he had to be taken to the hospital. I walked into the hospital room and I saw him laying in the bed and it messed me up. It shook me because my dad is impervious to harm. Like that's my thinking of my dad, right? He is, he is all powerful. I never saw him sick. I never saw him hurt. And he's laying in a bed. It was like, oh my gosh, because it shook me because I realized that which I think is permanent is impermanent. And this is what happens in our lives when we don't have the frame of reference. And this is who our God is. See, our God is a God that makes it, what we think is eternal Things like mountains seem momentary because he is truly eternal. And our world is messed up when we apply permanence to things that are impermanent. But our God is the only thing that is really permanent. Creation, the mountains, the universe, none of it is, is permanent. It's all temporary. God is permanent. 
goes on to say in verse 7, I saw the tents of Cushion in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Now it's not talking about the curtains and the, the tents. It's talking about the people of these lands. The verse 8, was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers uh, or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses, on your chariots of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows, Selah. You split the earth with rivers. Now, the passage he's describing here, what he's describing here is, is the waters, the rivers, the sea. And what he's describing is the Nile River, the Jordan River, the Red Sea that were all used by God for his purposes. And again, what he's doing is reminding the people of what God has done. Because here's what happens. When things are bad, we forget what God has done. When things are difficult, we forget what God has done. And that's the time it's most important for us to remember. And so Habakkuk is saying, no, 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 don't forget what God has done. He provided a way through the sea. He provided a way through the river. He provided for us when we needed it. So it stirs something up in us so we can go, oh yeah, God did it before. And it reminds us of what it says in verse two. And we go, do it again. God, I remember what you've done. Oh yeah, I forgot. Oh man, in my pain, in my hurt, in my darkness, I forgot. But I remember, so God, do it again. And again, it says, say law, to pause and pray. I'm, I'm just going to pause and praise you, God. God, I remember what you've done. I remember how you provided. I remember how you showed up. I, I've heard stories about this. So God's like, I'm just going to stop and I'm going I'm to think about it. I'm going to meditate on what you have done. Verse 10 says this, the mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. Let me start in verse 11 here. Verse 11 says the sun and moon stood still in their place. And remember what he's doing. He's reminding us who God is and what God has done. And this is a reference to Joshua chapter 10. In Joshua chapter 10, Joshua and the people of Israel are advancing and they're taking ground and they're facing the Amorites. And God, uh, Joshua says to God, God, this one might take a little bit. Um, and I'm paraphrasing, but basically he says, hey, would you stop time so I'll have enough daylight to take care of these jokers? And God says, sure. And so God literally stopped the sun in the sky. He stopped the, the rotation of the earth on its axis so that there would be enough daylight so his people could win the victory. This is a cool story. We overlook it a lot of times, but it's, a, it's an incredible story. So, so what do we see in this passage? He's talking about the mountains who are quaking before the Lord and the raging waters and the deep of the sea and the sun and the moon and all these things. What is it talking about? Well, it's talking about God's authority. God has authority over nature itself. God's authority is so complete that nature has to obey him. That nature is forced to do what he commands it to do. This is why the disciples were dumbfounded by Jesus when he commanded the storm to be still. Even nature obeys him. And for us, it's easy for us to forget that even nature obeys him. When we get a, a bad diagnosis from the doctor, and we think, oh man, I, they use the C word, it's cancer. It's hopeless, what am I gonna do? It's easy to forget that nature has to bow its knee to him. 
Cancer is not exempt from the lordship of God. God is over it all. He is Lord of it all. And it's easy for us to forget that even nature must obey him. Let me go back to this passage that it's easy to overlook. In verse 10, it says, the mountains saw you and quaked, the raging water swept on. But listen to what it says here. The deep gave forth its voice. Remember what we said earlier, that the earth was filled with his praise. The earth was filled with his praise. Um, I don't know about you. I like hearing good things about myself. And I might be the only selfish, needy one here, but I think we all do. And your family, your friends, the people around you are no different. And my girls like me to like to hear me say good things about them. Hey, I've noticed this and this is praiseworthy, essentially. Hey, I've seen this. I've seen this behavior. I've seen this attitude. I've seen this value. I've seen how you've lived. I've seen this behavior. Man, I just want you to know I'm so proud of you. I love how you do that. I love how you lead people. I love how you pray. I love how you, whatever it is, it's praiseworthy. Now, here's the thing. Uh, I've never done that telepathically where I looked at my girls and I was like, and they just snapped too. They're like, oh, daddy, thank you so much. That's sweet of you. Doesn't happen. Now with God, it could, God knows my mind. He can read my mind. That's not a problem for God. My mind is very simple, by the way. So he can read my mind. My girls cannot. I tell my girls how I feel about them, for them, but also for me. Because when I tell my girls how I feel about them, there's alignment in our lives. There's intimacy in our lives because I will tell them, here's what I see in you. Here's what I believe to be true about you. Here's what I love about you. And there's an alignment that comes there. This is true with our staff, with my friends, the people in my life. When I say that, there's alignment there. And here's the thing. Uh, my heart comes in alignment with their heart in that moment. And when I'm praising God, not just with my mind, but with my mouth, my heart comes into alignment with God. Now, here's the thing. This passage says, the deep gave forth its voice. And praise necessitates us using our voice. Now, here's the, here's the problem. I love you guys very, very much, but I watch you worship. And some of you have a very specific style. Can I demonstrate it for you today? You start with your feet about shoulder width apart. You take your hands and you put them in your pockets and then you do this. And this is how you worship. Now, some of you have moved on to more advanced levels and you'll move from this to this where you're holding the seat in front of you. That's nice, good move. At least you got your hands out of the pocket. Bonus points, that's good. But here's the thing. The deep is lifting up its voice to God. And if the deep can lift up its voice to God, why can't I lift up my voice to God? And you go, well, Mel, I I just wouldn't feel comfortable. Okay. I did not recognize that this was about your comfort. 
I thought it was about worshiping God of the universe. So I'm sorry to infringe on your comfort today. I apologize. <laughs> Somebody's listening. <laughs> Somebody's listening. I've heard people say, Mel, I'm not a very good singer. If I sing and people don't like it, who's next to me, what am I supposed to do? And I say, I don't really care because it's not for them. <laughs> God is not impressed. You're not trying out for the worship team. So we don't care how good you sing or how good a singer you are and can you sing on pitch or harmony. We don't care about that. Do you know what we care about? We care about you saying, hey, God, I'm fully surrendered to you. God, I know who you are and I know who I am. And so I'm willing to, to embarrass myself a little bit for your glory. I don't mind if I sing this song and it's not quite right because nobody around here, it's not for them, it's for you. And I want you to be pleased with my worship today. I want you to be pleased with my praise today. I want my heart to come into alignment with yours. So I'm not just gonna stand here like a statue worshiping you. I'm gonna open my mouth to praise you because you are worthy of my praise. So here's the thing. Um, I don't wanna be crude or crass. I've got this dog. Her name's Lulu, okay? She is nine pounds of fluffy white demon possession. That's what she is. And I will take Lulu outside to do her business. And she will sniff around and she will finally do what she does. And I will say to Lulu, good girl. Good girl, inside, let's get a treat. And she will run for the door. Why? Because I said, good girl, you want a treat? And she says, yes, sir, I do. Now here's the question. If I can open my mouth to praise my dog for pooping in the yard, why in the world can we not open our mouths to praise the God of the universe who blessed you with breath in your lungs today. Why do I feel like it's a chore to open my mouth and worship God when he gave me everything I've got? Well, Mel, there's things I don't got. That's right, there's things you don't got. But do you know what you do have? You've got breath in your life. You've got a day to serve him. You've, you've got friends and family and a church you probably got a job, and if you don't have a job, you probably have strength to find a job. There's all kinds of things God has given you. He is worthy of our praise. And so maybe you grew up in a tradition where you just didn't sing. That's okay. This is an opportunity to, to change some traditions. This is an opportunity for you to say, hey God, I know who you are and I know what you've done. And I know you're praiseworthy. I don't see it yet, but I believe it's coming. So I'm gonna praise you because you are good. I'm gonna praise you with my voice. I got bad news for you. The next part of that verse says, it lifted its hands on high. <laughs> Some of you, your Presbyterianism is just getting you. And right now it's saying, don't do it. Don't do it. Is there something supernatural about raising our hands? Is it like a, a Holy Spirit lightning rod? No. 
But there is something powerful about me saying, God, I'm not concerned about what the people around me think. God, I'm I'm an open vessel for you to to use. So God, I'm going to raise my hands. If the deep can raise its hands symbolically, I can raise my hands. God, if the deep can cry out with a voice, I'm going to cry out with a voice. God, I'm not going to let nature do what I should be doing. So God, I'm going to do it. I'm going to raise my hands. I'm going to lift my voice. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to praise you in spite of what I see, in spite of what I feel, even though my answers have not been given to me about the prayers I'm praying, you are worthy of the praise. Verse 12. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. He's reminding God, you are are hunting for the salvation of your people. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck, Selah. That is a wild place to put Selah, if you ask me. You laid him bare from thigh to neck. Then he says, Let's pause to praise. Like, what? what? And this feels brutal. God, I am declaring what you've done. I'm, I'm asking you to do this again. But this is a reference in verses 12 and 13 to chapters 10 and 11 of Joshua, where Joshua was conquering the land and God was doing the work and going in before them. And he's reminding the people, here's what you've done. Here's what God has done. Here's what he's been up to. Here's what he can do. And he's saying, pause and praise. Remind yourself who he is and what he's done. And then we get to verse 14 and 15. And this kind of summarizes what he's been saying. And it says, you pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me. So my enemy was coming against me to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. Let me just explain this verse. He says, you pierced with his own arrows the heads of the warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me. The enemy was coming to get me and you used their arrows to kill them. So so I want you to hear this. The weapon that was designed to destroy you and take you out will actually be used to take out the enemy. Some of you know the story of David and Goliath. We, we know the story. David killed Goliath with a sling and five smooth stones, but that's not the story. He didn't kill Goliath with a slingshot and the stone. He killed Goliath with Goliath's sword. He knocked him down. He goes over, pulls his sword out, and he chops off Goliath's head with Goliath's own sword that day. And we actually see later in the story, um, David's life, he's on the run from Saul and he goes to see the, the priest at Nob at Ahimelech and he says to him, I'm on the run, um, I, I need a sword, do you have a weapon? And Ahimelech says, yeah, I've got the Goliath sword that you used to kill him, I've got it, do you want it? And he said, yes. And a lot of historians will actually say that that's the sword that, carried, uh, that David carried the rest of his life. That the sword that was intended to take him out was a sword that he used to kill the enemy, that he used to defend himself the rest of his life. And what we see here is that there are weapons that are formed against you to take you out that, that God will divinely use to take out your enemy. And when I'm reading this passage, it reminds me of a passage probably familiar to you. It's in Isaiah chapter 54. Verse 17, it says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper in the King James, 
But let me read this to you in context because it's even better in context. Verse 16, I've created the blacksmith who fans the coals beneath the forge and makes the weapons of destruction. I've created the armies that destroy, but in that coming day, no weapon turned against you will succeed. You will, uh, you will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. These benefits are enjoyed by the servants of the Lord. Their vindication will come from me. I, the Lord, have spoken. So God was speaking through the prophet Isaiah, and he says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. And we can praise God for that. We go, yes, no weapon formed against me will prosper. But did you catch what it said in verse 16? We are so focused on the weapon that we miss this part. In verse 16, he says, I have created the blacksmith that creates the weapons that you're worried about. God says, I'm not just God of the, the weapon. I'm the Lord of the one who created the weapon. And you're so worried about the weapon that's gonna try to take you out, but you don't even understand, I'm the Lord of the one who creates the weapon. We should be, have so much peace in that. We should have so much comfort in that and go, God, I'm so worried about the schemes of the enemy that are coming against me. And I want you to know, you don't need to worry about the schemes of the enemy in your life because God is the God of the one who creates the schemes. He is Lord over all. So, so you need to stop worrying about, God, what are you gonna do? How's this gonna work out? God, are you in control? And God is saying, I am in control. I'm, I'm even Lord of your enemies. I'm Lord over their lives. I'm in control. I know what I'm doing. You're worried about the weapon? No, the weapon's not gonna succeed because it's not even that I'm Lord of the weapon. I'm Lord of the one who creates the weapons. I'm grateful today. No weapon formed against me will prosper. Verse 16. Habakkuk says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. He's saying, I'm having a physical response to what is happening, to this waiting, because nobody likes to wait. He said, I'm waiting for you to show up, God. I'm, I'm scared. I'm nervous. I'm wondering how this is going to turn out. And then he says, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. He said, but God... If I think I got trouble, there's more trouble waiting on them. So God, I trust you today. God, I'm gonna trust you in the midst of this. I don't know how it's gonna turn out. I know salvation is on its way, but I don't know what salvation looks like. So God, today I'm gonna trust you. And then we get to the, the hinge, the most important part of this whole book. In verse 17, he says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Let me pause there. This is not actually what was happening in Habakkuk's life, by the way. He was describing a worst case scenario. He was saying, what if all these things happened? And, and he lays it out. He said, the fig tree should not blossom. So there's no fruit on the fig tree, no fruit on the vines. And this is important because the, he's talking about wine. He's talking about there are no grapes, but more importantly for them, there was no wine. And wine was important for them because they didn't have an abundance of clean drinking water. And so wine was used uh, in place a lot of times. So he's saying, we don't have anything to drink. The produce of the olive fails. And the olive was important because olive oil was not just something they would use for cooking or for their life, but they would use it to, for commerce, to earn a living as well. And the fields yield no food, so we've got no food to eat. 
The flocks are cut off from the fold. That's another source of income from shearing sheep because they're cut off, they're dead. They're in the wilderness, they're scattered. And there'd be no herd in the stalls. Here's what he's saying. We got no food. We got no income. We got nothing to drink. We, we, we are desolate. We are desperate. We have nothing. And for you, you might be feeling that way today. Man, my life feels desperate, feels desolate. I feel hopeless. And listen to what his response is in verse 18. He describes the situation in 18. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. He says, in spite of this stuff, I'm gonna praise him. I'm gonna worship him. I'm gonna give him the glory he deserves. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. He's not even saved yet. His salvation hasn't arrived yet, but he's saying, by faith, I will be saved from this situation. So God, I take joy in the God of my salvation. And then there's this key part. He says, God, the Lord is my strength. God is my strength. How do we worship God in spite of horrible circumstances? Well, you can't in your own strength. It's impossible. That's where we have to tap into the strength of God. And he says, he makes my feet like the deers. He makes me tread on my high places. And he's talking about how deer can navigate difficult terrain easily. He's saying, God, you're gonna help me walk in difficult places without fear. He's gonna, he's gonna guide you and direct you into difficult places and you don't have to worry about what's gonna happen. Why? Because God is my strength. I wanna share a story with you real quickly. It's a lady here in the church, her name's Kathy, and I wanna share Kathy's story with you today. So one of the things I like most about Summit is the ability to serve. And I was really looking forward to the annual serve day. And I was planning on joining a team, probably um, something with some landscaping. And then I got an email from Beth Blues asking me if I would consider leading a team. And my first reaction was, oh no, I, I don't know if I could lead a team. I don't know if I would have an idea. And almost immediately, I felt I was getting an urging to, to do something for patients that were um, suffering with cancer. And I believe it helped the others on the team as well because most of them had experienced loss. My grief came from losing a teenage daughter from cancer. In 2008, my daughter Lauren was um, going to realize her dream of starting music school. It's um, something she worked at from the time she was seven years old. And um, unfortunately, six weeks into her freshman year, she started to experience back pain. She went to the emergency room at Shadyside and they decided to keep her overnight the next morning from the blood work, they knew that there was cancer in her body somewhere. It was aggressive, it was growing quickly. And within a day or two, she was in organ failure. There were times we just didn't think that she was gonna make it um, through the night. I was really upset with God thinking, you know, why her? How could this happen to her? 
but at the same time, I knew God was carrying me. I, I couldn't have gone, gotten out of bed every day. I couldn't have cared for her without God's help. People at her funeral told us that she had changed their lives, that people who had never prayed ever in their life learned how to pray. They learned how much her faith had helped her. So it wasn't long, a friend of mine asked me if I would get involved in the Relay for Life. And I did. And for the next 10 years or so, I led a team uh, for the Relay for Life. It was a very healing experience for me to help others that were going through similar situations. My recommendation for anyone going through grief in their lives, whatever it might be, is to try to get involved with something that supports others that are going through the same grief that um, you are going through. With God, everything is possible. I appreciate Kathy sharing her story, just being vulnerable with us about one of the lowest places of her life. Um, one of the things I love about Kathy's story, though, is she said, um, God was carrying me. She said, God made it possible for me to get out of bed. God was working. You know what she was saying? God is my strength. I didn't have the strength. I didn't have the ability. I couldn't do it, but God helped me. God gave me the strength. And this is the same sentiment that Habakkuk is saying. He's saying, God is my strength. I don't know how this is gonna work out. I don't know how it's gonna happen, but God, I trust you. And the last line, it's almost a footnote of Habakkuk chapter three. At the end of verse 19, it says, to the choir master with stringed instruments. And this is a reminder that this is a song that's going to be sung, that this is a reminder for us that, that we should worship our way through our grief, through our heartache, through our disappointment, through our fear. See, the, the enemy has formed weapons against us and we've been promised that the weapon that the enemy forms against us won't prosper, but what is our enemy? Or what is our weapon? I would tell you today, our, our weapon is worship. Worship is our weapon of war. This is why we open our mouths and sing. This is why we raise our hands to praise. This is why, again, this is gonna be uncomfortable. This is why people will dance during worship because this is their weapon of war. The enemy is coming against them and they might be saying, I don't see my answer yet, but God, you are worthy of all praise. God, you are my strength. So God, I'm resolved. Here's what I will do. I will rejoice in the Lord, yet I will rejoice in the Lord in spite of my circumstances. God, I'm gonna worship even though I don't feel like it, I'm gonna to choose to do it because God, you are my strength. And God, here's what I know about you. I know that you <laughs> make my feet like the deer. You make me tread on high places. Here's who I know about you. Yet I will rejoice. Worship reminds us who God is. Worship reminds us of what God has done. And worship actually helps us build up endurance in our lives. So as we worship, we can endure those difficult times a little longer. Today, my question is, will you worship when you don't feel like it? Not just when things are good. It's easy to worship when things are good. When things are bad, will you choose to worship? Will you say, God, you are my strength? 
I don't see my answer yet, but salvation is on its way. Hey, right now I'm gonna turn it over to our hosts in Blairsville. They're gonna close out our time together, give you a chance to respond. I love you guys very much. I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. So today, here in the room and those of you watching online, I wanna remind you, Habakkuk said, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. His salvation hadn't even arrived yet. He didn't know what it was gonna look like or how it was gonna happen. And maybe that's your situation. Maybe today you're in a desperate situation. You're saying, God, I need to be rescued. I don't know how you're gonna do it or when it's gonna come, but I need you. You're in good company. You're not alone. See, Habakkuk was asking for a specific situation, rescue us from the Babylonians. But there's a greater rescue that he needed, that humanity needed, and it was from our sinfulness. And God was already in, the, already in the work of sending a savior. Salvation was on its way in Jesus Christ. So you might need salvation today from a situation you're in, circumstance that you're dealing with, problems you're dealing with. And I just want you to know that problem is secondary to the problem we have called sin. And Jesus Christ himself is our savior. He is the solution to that problem. So no matter what other problem you have in your life, I'm telling you today, uh, every solution begins with Jesus. So I wanna invite you into that solution today. So if you would bow your head and close your eyes all in this place. God, we thank you and we love you and we're grateful today for Jesus. We're grateful for, grateful for salvation that we can find in him. God, thank you that in spite of our circumstances, you are our strength. So God, I pray that we would run to you when we feel desperate and lonely and hopeless. Help us see that there is an answer and there is power in your hand. And God, I pray that we would remember and recall what you have done in the past and we would cry out, God, do it again today. God, we would be patient and we would wait on your response and we would know that you are faithful and true. God, I pray for the people here in this room and watching online that are struggling today, that are in a desperate situation. I pray that they would find salvation first and foremost in Jesus Christ. That we would see that he is the answer we need more than anything else. And I pray that you would Give us peace to know that you are going to rescue us according to your plan and purpose and schedule. And we should not get impatient with you. So Lord, minister in us in these moments we've got together. Now, nobody's looking around, your head bowed, your eyes are closed. If you'd say to me today, Mel, I know I'm not walking with God, but I wanna be. I know I need a savior. And today I wanna surrender my life to the Lordship of Jesus. And I wanna receive his salvation for me, for my soul, for my life. If that's you, I'd love to pray for you. If you wanna be included in that prayer, would you put your hand up real high where I can see it? And you can put it right back down. If you'd say, Mel, pray for me today. I wanna receive salvation. Yeah, thank you, sir. I see you up on the balcony. Awesome. Who else would say, that's me, pray for me. Yeah, thank you. I see you in the center section. Who else would say, Mel, that's me, pray for me today. Yeah, thank you. Just a few more seconds, anyone else? Yeah, thank you, up in the balcony, I see you. Awesome, praise God, praise God. Romans chapter 10, verse nine, says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And so we're gonna pray a prayer together and we're gonna say it out loud. 
We're gonna pray this prayer together. I'm gonna give you the words to say, but this is your prayer to God. So would you repeat this prayer after me? Everybody in the place, say this with me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus, your one and only son, to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From this day forward, my life is surrendered to you. Use me for your glory and help me never go back to my old ways or my old life or my old thinking. From this day forward, I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause. Listen, if you prayed that and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, Scripture says you are a new creation. And we want to help you take uh, the right steps in this new walk with Christ. So if you would, uh, would you take one minute and either fill out the card that's in the seat back in front of you, uh, and then when we get done here, you can take it to our next step table out in the lobby by the main doors. Or if you'd prefer, you can simply text Summit PA to the number 94,000. Let us know about your decision that way. But we would love to help you take your next step in your faith journey. So even if you text us, would you please stop by our table out in the lobby? Our team would love to help you and answer questions for you and help you take your next step. Here's what's gonna happen right now. Todd's gonna lead us in one final song. We're gonna worship together with our mouths. Maybe, maybe with your hand raised. I'm just throwing it out there. But I wanna encourage you in this last song, would you just worship God? And if you haven't seen the answer to your prayer yet, would you worship as if you have? Can we just surrender everything to God and say, God, you're worthy of my praise and praise him together. And while we're singing this final song, uh, some of our prayer team's gonna be available. And if you need a, a prayer for any reason at all, no matter how big or small, our team's here, we'd love to pray for you. And so if you would, make your way out of your seat as we begin to sing. Let these guys pray for you today. Uh, and even after we're dismissed in just a moment, our team's gonna stick around and we'd be honored to pray for you no matter how big or small your need is. So why don't you stand to your feet all over the room. Let's worship together one more time before we go. I hope you have an incredible week with your family. Have a happy Thanksgiving. I hope you rest and enjoy it. And I would love to see you back here next weekend. We're gonna have an awesome weekend next weekend. Don't take Sunday or Saturday off. Be here at Summit. You will not regret it. I promise. I love you guys more than you know. I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys. Have a happy Thanksgiving. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcast.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to Summit Podcasts, and we will see you in the next episode.